This is a case from the Wumon Town, <coughs> case 38. A cow passes through a window. The case. Goso said, for example, it's like a great cow passing through a latticed window. Her head, horns, and four legs have passed through. Why is it that her tail cannot pass through? Mumon's commentary. If in regard to this, you're able to turn yourself upside down, attain one single eye, and utter a turning word, you will be able to repay the four obligations above and help the living beings of the three realms below. If you're still unable to do this, reflect again on this tale. Then you will be able to grasp it for the first time. The verse. If it passes through, it will fall into a ditch. If it turns back, it will be destroyed. This tiny little tale, what a strange and marvelous thing it is. So this morning, I've asked us to reflect on this, your life depends on this, right? this, whatever this is, how we meet the moment, your life depends on. But which life is it that depends on it? Is it the life we want to defend? Who is dependent on this? Because if we're not very, very, very careful, we actually use this to protect and defend what this is designed to show us that has no validity. We use this in the wrong way, very quickly and very easily. All of us, all of us. We all have the potential to live an awakened life or to live deluded life, thinking we are on the path of awakening. It's scary but true. So we have to be very careful with how we examine, with what we are examining. Your life depends on this. Who is it? And this, of course, ties very well with our conversation, our mundo, at the end of last year, New Year's Eve, we got together here and we talked about the challenges we all face, challenges of staying committed to practice, right? staying committed to practice while Dealing with a job, paying the bills, raising children, all that. And, of course, maybe above all, is what we drag around with us, what we bring with us to practice here, to raising children, to going to work. What is it that we lug around, that we carry on our back? What makes it heavy? What makes life 
seems so thick, heavy, gummy. All ties up very well together, actually ties up in a knot. That which is trying to get out of the knot. So it's a loop. We come to free ourselves and often we end up getting entangled. But you know, the, the issue of staying committed, the issue of perseverance, or the issue of encountering resistance, of course, appears in any practitioner's life and in every Sangha. Right? We, we feel energized for a little while, works, then the momentum dies down. Or we feel energized for a little while, then someone says something that just completely flattens everything, right? And then we're back to where we started, or at least it feels this way. The voice of the resistance, over and over and over again. How do we meet it? Right? And this is the process. There's no getting around it. In fact, we should welcome every time we feel a sense of, hey, what about me? We should welcome that. This is what we need to work on. What about me? Yeah, what about you? What about you? This is what we're here, what we're here to do. To look at that. So to welcome every contraction, every time we feel as if I have to retaliate. Hold off. Wait a minute. Really? You want to retaliate? Go ahead. But be willing to pay the price. Retaliate, get stuck further. Guaranteed. Shut up. Sit down. Don't move. Do not react. Freedom. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Only if you don't. Go along with the automatic reactivity. Only. But again, as I said many, many times before, the price is high. You're here to pay with yourself. That's the price. There is no other way. And that's the process. This is what Master Goso here is describing in this koan. It's an analogy, right, to the process of shedding our hardened beliefs about ourselves, about others, about the world. And with time and practice, time and perseverance, not just going through the motions, but really wanting to get through that gate then we do, little by little. As he says, it's just like a great cow passing through a latticed window. The head, the horns, the body, the legs, whole legs, all need to pass through. And that's what happens is our impulsive consciousness dries up and the grasping hand withers, no longer defending, no longer no longer protecting, caring so much for the source of suffering. Of course, every time it feels differently, right? It's a twist on the same thing. Twist on the same thing. Well, here, hear me out. Here's my story. Wait, 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 wait. let me talk. Ah, okay, I'll listen. One of the uh, privileges of being a teacher is you get to actually, you get to see it face to face.
you get to communicate with that. You get to feel how desperate this energy is in us. How much it resists dying. And it'll try so hard Buddha experienced that, obviously, right? Mala. And you know, Mala actually never really left, left, like gone, as we would love for this to happen. Actually, Mala kept coming back to revisit the Buddha as an ally, as a friend, as someone who is on his side. I got you covered. I got your back. Listen to me. Hear me out. And it comes back. You know, there's nothing upon which to rely. means there's nothing upon which to rely. It's not like, well, there's few things here on the side which I can rely on. I'm willing to let go of some, but I cannot let go of everything. At least not now, not today, not yet. I will later on. So to do that, to do this withering, as we call it, right, to do it effectively and correctly, we have to work with it in real time, on the go. And it means to work with the triggers at the time we are triggered. Not comfortably on the couch. Not while reading a book, thinking this is a great idea. It makes sense. And then the phone rings or somebody says something you don't like. You get news of something you're unhappy about. And uh, the book actually goes on the shelf. You go back to it when things calm down. Then it makes sense again. But the in-between this making sense, how do we live it? Think about it. How often we actually, metaphorically speaking, take off the ruckus, put it aside. Let me take care of stuff now. Then, now, I'll pick up the ruckus, hold it against my forehead, the third eye, there it is. Put it, oh, I'm a good practitioner. I sit straight. I can sit through five, six, ten periods, no problem. That's it. This is why we're here, to get good at warming a cushion. That's it. I think I told you once, Mazumi said to someone who, who raved about how many hours he could sit, he said, well, see the statue over there? He's doing it for you. You don't have to do that. He's doing a much better job than you. Because he never moves. We don't move to become a statue, right? It's not that we do not move for that. We do not move so we can learn how to move correctly. But it does mean that we have to learn how to not move, to be still. But not still like a rock or a piece of wood to be still so we can examine this impulsive consciousness that will not stop and will look for any opportunity to destabilize you, to take over your legs, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, and do the talking for you, if you let it. if you let it. So at the time we are triggered and to embrace what we want to run away from. So in other words, when it gets difficult, it means there is something there that you need to look at. 
when you go when you want to go and smack somebody, it's beautiful. As long as you don't go smack somebody, it's a beautiful opportunity to look at why do I want to do this? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling this way? Who? Who is talking? Who is thinking? Whose idea is it anyway to go smack him or her? Is it really my idea? Is it really what I want to do? Is it going to, is it going to solve something? What's going to make me feel good? Look again. Look again, because rage burns that which is in rage. We are the victims of rage. Any rage or any emotion, we victimize only ourselves. Not that we don't cause suffering to others, but we have to live with it because it actually originates in us and it remains in us. Many emotion is in us. Yeah, but how can she or he or... Too late. You missed the point. You missed the opportunity. But I don't feel like doing it. Not today. Don't do it. What would you do? Where would you go? What would you practice? What are we doing here? Again and again, we need to ask this question. Not me, you. You have to ask yourself. And I need to ask myself. What am I doing here? What is practicing correctly? Or maybe just what is practicing incorrectly? Right? Because correct actually takes care of itself. As long as we're willing to look at what we're doing, as long as we're willing to look at the extra, let's put it this way. Because life is doing very well if we allow it, if we let it, if we blend, if we merge, flow, then it works beautifully. So every instance of habitual emotional reactivity, every is an opportunity for meeting the moment from wisdom. Opportunity. Of course, easier said than done, right? Because at the heat of the moment, when we find ourselves at the grip of this habitual reactivity, everything goes out the window. And it does happen very fast. But these are the moments we need to know how to turn to the Dharma and to enact to enact the Bodhisattva precepts. This is what the precepts are about. They are designed to link your Zazen and everyday life, what we call everyday life. That's that link. Because this is how you know, well, two things. You know whether or not you're actually manifesting your Zazen, but also manifest your Zazen through. Right? So it kind of gives you a constant feedback if you want to look. Right? If you're willing. If you're willing to never take off your rakusu, even if you never put it on, still, never take it off. Leave your rakusu. Or, or practice what it means. But for that, we have to understand what it means. And again, practice correctly, right? You know, the Zen tradition, of course, puts great emphasis on Zazen. And it is the heart of our practice. But the heart has to function. Oh, it's not really a heart, is it? Right? And what is the purpose of the heart? If we talk in this language of purpose, 
it is designed or it is by design there to make the body move to send blood throughout the body nutrients to heal the body every part of it well not the fingers not the right the left hand i like i don't like the right hand right so let it die or let it suffer for a while i'll i'll send some blood there but not today another day the heart just that's what the heart does or it's not a heart right what good is it its capacity lies in its function your zazen the life of your zazen is what matters not more or less yeah your zazen matters greatly but it has to come to life or we're just getting better at warming up cushion like piece of wood or rock just sitting there thinking how great I am not moving <clears throat> master Gosso says it's like a great cow passing through a lattice window now a cow or an ox symbolizes the essence of Buddhahood which of course is a dormant potential right that needs to be brought to life as he says a great cow not just a cow a great cow right and he's saying it to point to the inherent greatness that is in everyone all of us inherent greatness But to realize this, the cow needs to pass through the latticed window. But then there is the tail. Right? And he says if the body, the body of the cow passes through, why is it that the tail cannot pass through? It doesn't make sense, logically, right? The cow is much bigger than the tail. Right, as in Mumon's commentary, he says, in the verse, he says, this tiny tail, what a strange and marvelous thing it is. Because if we want our Zazen to come to life, if we want it to pump vitality and healing for the rest of humanity, we can begin at home. We don't have to... We can begin small. The rest of humanity doesn't mean overseas everything is the rest of humanity right you go outside go to the store there's the rest of humanity you go to work there's the rest of humanity there it matters there your zazen matters most so if we want this to come to life there we need to intimately be familiarized with the functioning of this strange and marvelous tale, as Mumon calls it. And in doing so, we need to penetrate deeply into Gosso's question, why is it that this tale cannot pass through? And the focal point is here is mostly on the words, why is it? Why is it? Shibayama commented on this saying, this why is the bleeding cry of compassion trying to eradicate the cause of human suffering. This is the cry. This is the listening. This is the responding to the cry. How can I respond to the cry if I entertain myself with my own story most of the time 
How can I even hear anything or anybody if I'm so caught up in myself thinking, why is this happening? Why is that not happening? Why is she doing this? Why is he doing that? Too much, not enough. We can go on like that for the rest of our lives. And many times we do. Complain and judge and quantify. We care about the wrong things. We know how to care. It's just that most of the time it's not really about what needs to be cared for. How can we hear? So what Shibiyama is saying, right, is beautiful. Right? It's, it's really the, the bleeding cry of compassion trying to eradicate the cause of human suffering. And we need to understand that. Feel it, hear it. But ultimately, for the tail to function freely, this why also has to wither. Or the why has to function rather than pondered, examined. There is the examination and then there is putting it to work. Or oh, it's not a tale. It's something to admire, such as the word compassion, kindness, beautiful. Burn it completely. So to wither, right? To to allow this why to wither, and it does take time, and it does take practice. But the good news is that we don't need to wait until the why withers before we attempt to function as bodhisattvas. Because if we do practice correctly and we do learn how to function in accordance with the precepts, the process of withering and the results of withering arise simultaneously. We wither and we put that to work at the same time. Because when it doesn't come naturally, I mean, it does ultimately come more and more naturally, but when it doesn't come naturally, we do need to turn to the practice. Because it's not natural, maybe, at the beginning to function this way. Because we are moved by other voices. Not so much the voice of wisdom, but other voices in us. Very convincing. So in order to not obey those voices, we have to turn to the Dharma, to the teachings, to the precepts, to the sutras, and allow them to guide us. Not as gospel, not as close your eyes, follow, it will be all taken care of. No. As a way to wake up out of the dreamland of imagined that which I want to protect out of that we have to wake up in Dogen's Shobogenzo there is a fascicle titled Gyo Butsu Igi on everyday behavior of the Buddha doing his practice. And in this chapter, Dogen wrote, all Buddhas without exception make full use of their everyday behavior for their practice. This is what is meant by a Buddha doing her practice. A Buddha doing her practice does not refer to a Buddha's realizing enlightenment or to a Buddha transforming herself for the sake of helping others. Nor does it refer to a Buddha as the embodiment of the Dharma or to a Buddha as others see her embodied. Already sounds different maybe than what we want to hear. 
It is beyond the state of a Buddha at her initial realization or at her fundamental realization. And it is beyond the state of a Buddha in her inherent enlightenment or in her going beyond enlightenment. Becoming proficient in one's daily conduct whilst on the path towards Buddhahood is what meant by a Buddha just doing her practice. Which means this is the path. At the time we feel like retaliating, pissed off, upset by something, whether it's because of something somebody said or a memory or a thought, whatever. There is the practice. This is a Buddha doing her practice. Right? The tendency, or maybe the logic, is to think, well, I'm not realized yet, so I'm allowed to act this way, to speak this way. I'm still a novice or I'm halfway through, or I'm three-quarters, whatever. Wherever you think you're at, at this spectrum. Fine, you can hold on to that thought if you want, but no matter where you think you are on that spectrum, still, the responsibility is always the same. Be a Buddha. Not become a Buddha. Be a Buddha. Now, yeah, but it's painful. Be a Buddha that hurts. But I feel ashamed. Yeah, be that Buddha. But I feel, I think, I want, I don't want. It's all included. It is simple. It's a lifetime. But it is simple as in understanding what it is that we need to practice. That is simple. Practice is complex, yes. Multifaceted, yes. Includes everything. The good, the bad, in between. And it's the only way to truly practice, right? To not wait to become anything, to not expect something at a specific time, to not compare this to something else, me to another stage of me, another version of it. Or not indulging in being sufficient or insufficient, waiting for another time, another place. Simply, simply put, to wait means to not practice, to practice means to not wait. To wait is to not practice. And when you practice, you don't have time to ponder. Where am I? What's my worth? What's my value? What do they think about me? It comes and goes. Of course, it comes and goes. Do you have to pay attention to this? Acknowledge, but do you really have to pay attention other than acknowledging, yeah, I feel this right now. You know, there's so much power. It's actually like Aikido in a way that when we begin Aikido practice, we don't know how much power there is all around. So we try to use the muscle power because we don't know that there's something else to trust. And we try to muscle techniques and it doesn't work. Sometimes it does work. If you end up working with somebody who's weaker physically, it does work. But then you meet somebody who is uh, wiggy, (laughs) who's like a refrigerator, and guess what? Not going to work because he's a lot stronger. Then you go home with the tail between your legs, feeling defeated. What happened to my Aikido? I thought I'm much better than that. 
I'm ashamed. Others saw me that I wasn't able to move him. I wonder what they think about me. They probably think I'm a loser, no good. On and on and on and on. But well, hopefully we go back to the mat and we try again and again. And at some point we begin to realize maybe I can venture out. Maybe I can trust that my muscles, are, the muscle power is limited, but maybe there is something else. Otherwise there won't be a thing called Aikido. Otherwise, they will not be Zen to practice. So then we go deeper into trusting it. And little by little, it starts to manifest. And it, you actually trust it, it takes over and there's just so much power. Those of you who practice know, if you practice for a while, you know, you end up performing a technique and you look at the person being thrown halfway across the mat, it's like, I did not do that. How did this happen? You were the one throwing, but you were not the one throwing. I didn't do that. And it's true. And I did that is also true. How did it happen? It's magic. A tiny little tail is marvelous. We just have to trust it. But in the moment, and it has to be in real time, because the moment we need to trust it is the moment we want to run away. The moment we feel ashamed, defeated, embarrassed, or whatever. That's the moment. Because when you feel like, you know, you're mastering this power, well, that's easy. Feel like I can sit through anything, you know, and bring it on, no problem. It goes right through you. You're not taking things personal anymore. Great. Are well, you going to wait until then? What about the many, many, many times we take things personally? Hey, me! And then that's usually the title of the very long story. All stories are titled me. All complaints, all comparisons, all judgments, all lead to the same conclusion. They lead to the source and they lead to the latticed window the cow has to pass through. And then he says, because this Buddha, back to Dogen, because this Buddha who is doing his practice manifests the four modes of behavior in everything he does, he manifests these modes right out in the open. Now, before, this is really interesting, before he speaks, he gives a hint of his spiritual activity, which is woven into whatever he does. And it's not really, okay, well, I'm a spiritual person, so... No, there is a hint. And he gives a hint, it's really more like a hint is given, rather than I'm going to put it in there, in the background, so they see that I'm a spiritual person. It's there, in all four modes of behavior which is woven into whatever he does. This activity goes beyond time or place, or being a Buddha, or doing some practice. If you're not a Buddha doing your practice, you will not let go of your attachments to Buddha or your attachment to Dharma. And you will be grouped with those poor devils who deny that Buddha and Dharma can be found within themselves. Now, those poor devils, well, how, how often, how many times we thought, well, there are the Buddhas and there is me. I'm not yet a Buddha. And then I act, actually, in accordance to not being a Buddha. Those poor devils. He's not talking about anybody else. He's talking about us. 
at the time we get stuck or we get trapped by our own attachments, right? Our own delusions, our own thoughts, story, feelings. At that time, he's talking about those moments that we don't see ourselves as a Buddha and then we give ourselves permission to act as and as not or not as a Buddha. And he says, what being attached to Buddha means is that a person has formed an intellectual concept of enlightenment and then becomes attached to that concept and his understanding of it. Of course, there is that and there is the opposite side of that. Because this view accompanies him through each moment, he does not look for an opportunity to let go of this concept and understanding. And so he uselessly holds on to his mistaken views. And then he says, that Zogan, he says, I recall my own, my own indulgence in conceptualization as my tying myself without a rope, he said. So my conceptualization tied, was there and tied me up without a rope. It was a fetter at every moment, for the tree of self has not fallen and the vines of my entanglements had not withered yet. This was simply my passing through life whilst mean, meaninglessly impris being imprisoned in the cave of ignorance. Now, being imprisoned in the cave of ignorance, and then he says, on the periphery of, periphery of Buddhism, being on the periphery of what the practice is about, we function. We're there. We're always there, right? next to it, functioning based on something else, believing and following something else. And then he said, I did not realize that my Dharma body was ill. It's a good description for where we're at, where we find ourselves, how we tie ourselves without a rope. Right? Dogen is expressing his own experience. And it's, and, and it's exactly what we end up doing if we don't turn to the Dharma. Or if we turn to the conceptual version of the Dharma. By the way, we get stuck. You know, if we truly bear witness willing to listen to the cries of the world, to the unnecessary pain and suffering. I think it becomes very clear why we can't indulge in not acting like bodhisattvas. Or in a way, only when we don't listen, when we are caught up with our own stories, only then we can indulge in not acting like bodhisattvas because we actually don't hear. We don't feel the pain. We have to open our hearts. We have to be willing to be vulnerable in order to hear the pain and suffering, in order to connect to humanity. We have to be willing to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable, to be willing to be vulnerable means to not react or to not be reactive when we want to be reactive. Because if we do go on with the reactivity, we actually become blind and deaf. We hear mostly ourselves. And I see it and I hear it many times. I think every teacher sees it and hears it many times. So I think if we understand that correctly, if we understand that we must bear witness and it's urgent. And I cannot indulge in my own story. 
then we understand why the tail cannot pass through. Why it is important to turn to the precepts. Now we live in a beyond our little self, right? We live in a time of such blatant disregard to basic decency. And I think we witness overt desecration of morality, equality, kindness, almost daily. The sad thing is that we are getting used to it. Because we hear it in the news almost every day. So what if he said this? He didn't mean that. He meant something else. Oh, okay. But he, you know, he... But he is the other, right? The other. And the other is you. So it comes back, full circle. I can also say these words, act this way. Somebody referred to this time as a time of moral vandalism. It's a pretty interesting way to describe that. Uh, it's quite accurate, right? Time of moral vandalism. So how, we, how do we understand that and how do we meet this time using the practice or through the practice, right? And how do we meet it without becoming too pious about it or too religious, too pure? Or without being afraid to get our hands dirty or become self-righteous? Because the purity of this tale, the purity of it actually comes to life in the mud. Whether it's our own mud or somebody else's mud, it comes to life in the mud in the same way that the, the lotus flower lives in the mud, has roots in the murky, in the dirty. And again, we experience this every day, right, with ourselves. We, we, we come up against ourselves on a regular basis. That's the time, that's the place, that's where the tail matters most. You know, Zazen does not stand alone, right? As you know, Jhana, Rajna, Sila, Right, the Paramitas, they're inseparable. Jhana Paramita is a perfection of Zazen. Jhana is Channa, Zen. Sitting, not moving. And Prajna Paramita, perfection of wisdom. From not moving, wisdom is allowed to manifest. And Sila Paramita, that's where it manifests. That's how it manifests. They're inseparable. Zazen gives rise to wisdom. Wisdom gives rise to morality. And each of these three perfections support the other two. And working together, they support our individual resolve and maintain the tradition. Because you go to Silla and you practice and you encounter the difficulties, which sends you back to the cushion. Look at it. Is it really what you think it is? We're here practicing together because many people before us have done that, exact that. Exact that practice. And we are here to make sure that many after us will also understand this and practice this. And it's all 
part of maintaining Jnana, Prajna, Sila. Nordogen said, to raise up the invocation of your meditative state and respectfully make an offering of it is to be an offspring of the Buddhas and ancestors. So to raise up your in the invocation of your meditative state, you take your meditative state and you respectfully, he says, make it offering, an offering to the world. That is the action or the function of a bodhisattva. And that is saying thank you to all those who have done so before us. And that is, in a way, paving the road, the way to others who will be born long after we die. What do we want to pass on? You know, and the, the Jnana, Prajna, Sila can also be seen as parallels to the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Right? Because through Zazen we realize original self, true nature. Through embracing the Dharma, we embody wisdom. And through maintaining the Sangha, we practice morality. And there is the Sangha we know, each of us, and the Mahasangha, a larger community. Most we will never meet. Everyone is included. What the practice is asking us is really to be bigger than this, to be magnanimous, to be greater than the voice that complains and demands. Hear it. Listen to it. Be greater than that voice. Nohakwin, who revived the Quran study, he divided the Quans to groups, and this one is, is a part of a group of eight Quans were considered nantokoans, they are hard to pass. This is one of them. Hard to pass. The lifetime of practice. To understand the functioning of the little tail. In that process of understanding the functioning, we have to not obey, to not listen, to not love the self, to not be trapped by that. To not be impulsively reactive. not make everything about ourselves. It's a challenge. It definitely is a challenge, but this is, this is exactly what we need to do. This is exactly where the work matters. With all this, with everything we do, it all comes down to, can I learn to be inconspicuous? Can I learn to not matter? Can I learn to operate underground with nobody seeing me? Nobody giving me rewards, accolades, tap the shoulder, great job. We don't need that. It only gets in the way. To be underground, unseen. And then, to make that tail work. 
or to be the tail. So today, later on, we will uh, have Fusatsu, which is a traditional part of practice, in, mostly in Soto tradition. And periodically, we recite the vows to get the precepts together. And we do so together, regardless of whether or not you have taken Jukai. Some have, some have not. But we're doing it together because Jhana, Prajna, Sila are inseparable. Because every precept is a part of everyone's practice. We don't wait till Jukai. We're all responsible. Now the word Fusatsu comes from the Sanskrit word Posada, which means to fast, to purge of harmful toxins that have accumulated as a result of consuming unwholesome foods. The mind also becomes intoxicated, right, by accumulation of harmful impurities, thoughts, emotions, actions, words. So we go back to, we return to ground level, basic, and when we fast, and the word to fast here is to clean, to when you stop consuming. It doesn't say go eat good stuff. It says just don't eat anything for a while. Fast. Neither good nor bad. Just kind of like a reset to the system. Maybe that's the way to, to see Fusatsu as a reset button. Everything goes back to square one. Zero point before I was born, before my parents were born. There, from there I can utter the words of Fusatsu, the words of the precepts. And then, okay, start again. Never mind what I said before, what I did before. Not never mind in terms of karma, that you have to deal with. Never mind in terms of identification. Square one. Begin again. Brand new. Now I return to oneness. So the word Fusatsu here has two meanings. To nurture the mind with wholesome nourishment after that point and to deprive the mind of unwholesome nourishment, which means to become, to have the ability to discern before we say the words, roll the eyes, use the foot, use the hand. Just a split second before that, ask the question, is it going to be helpful? Will this, my, my words or my actions, will they be of benefit to the world? Ask that. And that's what we do. We level everything and begin again. You know, we walk around and we, we can't help sowing seeds. We all do. All the time. Because we permeate all the time each other. So you sow seeds. What kind of seeds do you want to sow? Because be careful. Remember that everything you say, actually everything you think, everything we not everything that passes through our mind is everything we actually process and hold on to starts to manifest. And that starts to create a, a wave-like reaction, ripple effect. 
What kind of seeds do we want to sow? Seeds of anger, animosity, negativity, oh, seeds of lightness, lightheartedness, love, care, compassion, happiness. What do you sow? Thank you.